Life is often so busy, taking us here, there, seemingly everywhere. When you are unable to make it to church, we hope you are fed and nourished by listening to the preaching of God's Word wherever you are at the moment. In the meantime, take care and God bless. So it's been three years since Jesus went on a mission to bring peace to a broken world. In three years, a lot has happened, but not much has changed. Over the course of three years, Jesus was baptized and he identified a core group of 12 men to work with him and to learn from him. In three years, the number of his followers grew exponentially and the number of his enemies grew too. In three years, a lot has happened, but not much has changed. From the day he was born, Jesus made leaders and kings uncomfortable, and he was always challenging the status quo. He had a charismatic nature about him, and it attracted crowds, and it was especially appealing to those who were not welcome in the more popular groups. Like those, those who liked him really liked him. Those who didn't often felt threatened by him. And some people learned quickly that Jesus was not someone you wanted to have a debate with. Jesus always won. Jesus was always right. What was most compelling about Jesus was that what he was capable of. He could heal the sick, he could raise the dead, calm the storm, and feed thousands of people all at one time. There was nothing about this man that you wouldn't like, unless, of course, you didn't agree with his teaching. And that's why we're here today, on the edge of a long and difficult week, because some did not appreciate what Jesus had to say. Today marks the start of Holy Week, the most significant time in the Christian faith. It is near the end of Jesus' ministry. There will be celebration, and there will be sadness, and there will be grief. And we will again be reminded of just how much God loves us and the cost of that love. Today marks the start of Holy Week, and it begins with a parade. In the text leading up to our story today, Jesus has just left, Jer left Jericho. He had been teaching there. He met Zacchaeus, and he concluded with a lesson on stewardship. The crowds that were with him in Jericho had followed him to the place where our lesson begins, the Mount of Olives. Today, however, we get a sense that something is going on with the crowd. There's a lot of chatter and a lot of noise. They seem excited, almost too much so. There's this intensity, as if they're expecting something big, something monumental to happen. And I'm sure Jesus senses this too but it doesn't seem to bother him. In fact, he seems to hardly notice at all. At the same time, Jesus isn't his usual self either. He seems distracted. His mind is somewhere else. And when we finally hear from Jesus, his words are brief, and he speaks to just two of his disciples. He instructs them to go fetch this colt in a nearby village that's not ever been ridden, and bring it to him. When the disciples ask what to say if they're challenged, he said, just tell them the Lord needs it. That's it. The conversation is over, and the disciples do what they are told. 
When the disciples return with the colt, the excitement of the crowd continues to build. It's not a war horse dressed up for battle, but they'll do their best to make it fit for a king because their king, the Messiah, who was Jesus, was about to make his move. At long last, the Romans are going to be stripped of their power and the crowd would follow Jesus on this small, unbroken little colt into battle. But here's what they didn't understand. It was true. Tradition says that when a king prepares for war, he rides in, in a war, on a war horse. But when a king comes in peace, he rides a donkey. Jesus was coming in peace. With a different set of expectations, the crowd remained focused on their plans. So they put their coats on the donkey's back, and then they spread the rest of what they had, along with palm branches, on the ground. And in the words of, of theologian Frederick Buchner, it was the image of a poor man's carpet. So now, mounted on the donkey, Jesus begins to make his way toward Jerusalem. People in the crowd took the palms they had left in their hands, and they raised them high, and they shouted, Hosanna! 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 Blessed is this king who comes in the name of the Lord. As the crowd grows, so grows the excitement and the noise, to the point that some are becoming uncomfortable with it, including the Pharisees. After all, this is still Roman territory. If the soldiers sense anything is going on at all that might disrupt their order, they could come down quickly on the crowds and harshly. Finally, the Pharisees have heard enough, and they demand that Jesus stop all of this so that, to that, and Jesus simply says, if they were silent, the stones would shout out. Some things just need to be said. This crowd is not going to be silenced. The parade continues, and soon the entire city of Jerusalem is in plain sight. And Jesus stops. People wonder, is there something wrong? Has Jesus changed his mind? After looking at this city that he loved, Jesus begins to weep. Unlike the crowd, he knows what is ahead. There will be a confrontation, but not like the one the crowd is expecting. Jerusalem means foundation of peace. This, this community called Jerusalem has betrayed its namesake. The hub of Judaism and all of its traditions has become tainted by worldly aspirations. The place and the people whom Jesus loves so much have lost their yearning for the things that make for peace. They have forgotten their need for God. In three years, a lot has happened, but not much has changed. It brings Jesus to tears to know that his beloved city is on its road to its own destruction. I retell this entire story because we cannot pass through this day by simply reading the text. We have to feel the intensity. We have to imagine the expectations that these people have. We have to have a sense of all of the contradictions. 
This whole scene is filled with contrasts and contradictions. The animal on which our king rides into Jerusalem is an unbroken young donkey. But on the other side of Jerusalem is the emperor who rides in on a stunning, fully dressed stallion. The expectations of the crowd will come through war. God will reign through peace. The world is full of people's visions and expectations of peace. Everyone wants it, but not everyone agrees on how to get there. Most of us have an idea of what we think it looks like, but our visions don't align one with another. And so, like the crowds, but in our more refined way today, we still shout, Hosanna! 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 Lord, save us. God does desire peace for this world, but God wants more than the absence of war and conflict. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It means wholeness, completeness, and well-being in all things, in all aspects of life. That's what God really wants for this world. God does want shalom. Peace is to be a way of life for us. Peace with ourselves, peace with others, and peace with God. When it comes to talking about wanting peace in our world today, I expect the first thing that comes to mind is Ukraine. We have seen the pictures and the devastation and the destruction. We've heard pleas from their president. We hear threats and lies from the Russian government. The people of Ukraine are fighting for their lives as they defend their country, and they have turned to the Western world in hopes of securing the things that make for peace. More weapons, a no-fly zone, financial support. And the Western world is weighing their options, looking at what they can do for the good of the whole world, stopping the physical destruction of a country, its people, and their homes is a first step towards peace. But it's not peace. Peace comes when neighbors are no longer seen as enemies, and war is not a solution to anything. Peace comes when love rules over all power and forgiveness rests in every broken heart. Ending acts of prejudice, injustice, oppression, and intolerance reflect a movement toward peace, but they are not peace, because if the feelings still remain, we struggle. Peace comes when the feelings that we have for one another are not influenced by our differences, but rather out of the respect for the gifts our differences bring to our relationships with one another. What makes peace difficult is that we will not achieve peace until we have peace with ourselves. We live full and busy lives, sometimes chaotic lives. We want many things and do many things, even be many things. So we get distracted by these things at the expense of what are not things, our families, our friends, even ourselves. We compromise expectations and we step on toes just to make sure that we meet our deadlines. Our relationships become compartmentalized. 
who we are with begins to influence how we act and how we feel about ourselves. We rarely live near the people with whom we work, and the people with whom we work are rarely the people with whom we, we play. So we find ourselves moving from one circle to the next and to the next, giving more attention on how we act with them than on who we are or who God created us to be. Everyone and everything compete for our time, our attention, and our love. And we do everything possible to satisfy those needs, but not our own. We put ourselves last on that list, and most days we don't get that far. This is a tough way to go about life. And it certainly is not what makes for peace in our lives. No matter how good we are at it or how hard we try, we cannot be the parent, the employee, or the friend that we want to be when that's how we live our lives. The fact is, there is always a war going on somewhere. Some of the most hard-fought battles are those that we fight at home, with those that we live with and work with, go to school with and maybe even worship with. And the weapons that we use aren't bombs and bullets. They're our words, our tones of voices, and our silence. And it's not until we are a little kinder and a little more gentle and a little more generous with ourselves that we will finally see peace at home and can be the peace for others. And we all need peace. At our place up north, every lot is separated by a wide swath of woods. It's filled with pine trees, birch, tree, birch trees, and a lot of underbrush. We leave those areas as they are for the most part, but occasionally there is a need to clean them up. One spring, Jim and I decided that we would do some picking up because the winter had been especially hard on the trees. So we worked hard one weekend to do that. Before we left to go home that weekend, our neighbor, who lives on the other side of the area where we did some cleanup, came over to talk to Jim. He was upset with us because he said we had been working on his property. Jim assured him that we had not, but our neighbor wouldn't listen. Realized that we were not going to be able to convince him that we had not been on our property, we simply decided to get someone to survey the line. Perhaps we had been wrong. When the lines were marked by the surveyor, they were exactly where we thought they would be. One battle was behind us, but we still struggled to find peace in another. Our neighbor remains upset with us for the outcome. Jim and I will give some space to that relationship for a while, not because we're angry, but out of a desire to avoid another war. We're still hurting a little bit by what happened, which means that we are not really at peace with what happened. But that's how battles go in our lives. They are hard to get over, even when there's nothing left to fight about. It's difficult to be at peace with others unless we are truly at peace with ourselves. This week, history was made in the appointment of Katanji Brown-Jackson to a seat on the Supreme Court. 
As I watched, I was troubled by the way they conducted the hearings. In fact, I've been troubled by the way they conduct most of those hearings. Did this process really have to become such a battle? Was the arguing and the cutting down and the intimidation really that necessary? And then on Friday, I was listening to a radio broadcast which WCCO host Shaletta Jones was interviewing Tanya Bransford, a black woman who is serving as a judge in the Hennepin County District Court. Bransford, of course, was very affirming of Justice Jackson's appointment, noting that her appointment is sure to help other young black girls see what is possible for them today, something that up until now seemed out of reach. There was a proud sense of accomplishment for her good friend. It was a difficult road, but she got there, and she was at peace with that. In her closing comment, Bradsford said this, if you can see it, you can achieve it. Whether we're talking about appointments to the Supreme Court or peace between Ukraine and Russia, if we can see it, with God's help, we can achieve it. Our journey toward peace won't be easy for us either. There will be need for compromise and courage and strength. Most importantly, we must see it. We must see Jesus, because if we see Jesus, we see peace. If we see peace, we see love and kindness and patience and gratitude. If we see peace, we have peace, because Jesus is our peace. The journey to bring peace to this world was not easy for Jesus either which is why we are standing here on the edge of Holy Week. As Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem, a city filled with people he loved, he wept. He wept because even after all that he had taught and all that he had done, his people could not see the things that make for peace. He wanted more from us than we were willing to give. Maybe he wept because in spite of all that we are and all that we do, he was still willing to die for us, which we will hear more about as we walk through the rest of Holy Week together. So it has been three years since Jesus was on the road with a mission to bring peace to a broken world. In three years, a lot has happened, but not much has changed. So even today, as our journey into Holy Week begins, we will proclaim, Hosanna! 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 Lord, save us. Amen. We hope you found this week's message helpful as you think about how you will live out your faith each day. If you would like to support the ministries at St. Andrew Lutheran Church, you can do so by having your credit card information available and then texting a gift to 952-260-9007. Thank you, and God bless.